Pentecost, and that's Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. That's our background reading to the passage that we hope to focus on, which is Ephesians chapter 5, 18 through 21. So two passages, Acts chapter 2, 1 through 11, that's the historical event, and then uh, Ephesians chapter 5, 18 through 21. So when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as of Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. And then Ephesians chapter 5, that's our focus today is 18 through 21, the continuing ministry of the Spirit, continuing ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church today, verses 18 through 21. Also Paul says to the congregation, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. It may uh, surprise some of you, but... Pentecost was already an Old Testament harvest festival. It was a, uh, a festival that occurred 50 days after the Passover. Remember the Passover marked the people, God's people's redemption from Egypt. I think a redemption points to the resurrection of Christ. So now you see those feasts being fulfilled in Christ in the New Testament, penta means 50. Okay, so on this day, 50 days after Jesus accomplishes redemption through his cross and, and from his resurrection, 50 days after, what happened? 
he poured out his spirit on the church. That was on the day of Pentecost, a harvest festival. And boy, what a great harvest there was. By the time you read the end of Acts chapter 2, 3,000 souls were added to the church. So it was a harvest festival. And Christ had promised that the Spirit would come. And he fulfilled his promises. You know at Babel, at the Tower of Babel, what did God do? He brought judgment on man and his pride by, uh, by dividing the peoples. Right? He brought confusion on their languages and there was division in our world. But it's at Pentecost where from the spirit from on high, he comes to unite the nations. That is the believers from all nations into one body under Christ the Lord. So the difference between Babel and Pentecost, there's unity. And today, of course, we live in a world with a lot of conflict a world with so many broken relationships, confusion, division. And yet, you know, in this kind of world, Pentecost is a reminder to us that as believers, we have the confidence. We have the confidence of knowing that the Holy Spirit has come and that the Holy Spirit is doing his work. The Holy Spirit is a very busy spirit he is busy communicating, is busy applying all the work of Christ in the hearts of believers, in the hearts of all his elect, all throughout the world. He is busy comforting, helping, interceding, praying, getting alongside of, encouraging, all these ways in which the Holy Spirit is at work inside the church, uh, living inside believers, to work, to apply that work of salvation in the life of believers. But you know what? We talk about many works of the Holy Spirit. His very first work is what? Remember, he's the third person of the Trinity. He's not a force. He's not electrical current. He doesn't make you go like this. That's not the Spirit. He is the person. He's the person the third person of the Trinity. And his first work is what? To convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's his very first work. It's a very sobering work. It's a very powerful work. Convicting or convincing people of sin. The world does not believe in sin, and it needs to be convinced of it. It needs to be convicted of a sin. And this, the Holy Spirit is sent. He's sent to do that work. First of all, through the preaching of the word. That's what the Holy Spirit uses. The second work of the Holy Spirit, after convicting us of sin and showing us our need for Christ and for trusting his completed, finished sacrifice on the cross, is what? To give new life. That's solely his work. Right? We call that regeneration, right? The regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. He's sent, second, then to regenerate men and women and children to give them a new nature, to give them a new life, a new mind, a new outlook, a new everything. 
There is no hope in the world apart from this applying work of the Spirit who applies the work of Christ in the hearts and lives of believers in the church. And now we come to the third thing. That's what our focus is today. Okay, so he convicts of sin, brings people to Christ. He gives the new life, but he doesn't stop there. He continues working. And that is he is sent to also sanctify us, to help us grow more and more like Christ and strengthen our life of fellowship with God and with one another. You can say in some ways he's got the yucky work. <laughs> How so? He's such a gracious, gracious and willing spirit, willing to work in our lives filled with sin. He's busy cleaning us up, but also encouraging us, convicting, encouraging, strengthening, strengthening the fellowship. That's his work, is to work inside the body of Christ in the hearts and lives of believers. You know, and, and that work we're called to cooperate in, that work of sanctification. How do we know that? Because if you look at our text in verse 18, it's a command. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? He does the work of regenerating. That's his work alone. But now we're called to obey. We're called to submit. We're called to live under the Spirit, under Christ. Okay? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what we see here are two things, a very clear command. Command, and second of all, you see the beautiful results of that. First thing here is a clear command. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Who's Paul speaking to? Paul's not speaking to the spiritually elite, the high-class believers in the church. No, he's speaking to all believers, common, ordinary believers, one and all. So not just a special class. It's not just a special class that this is addressed to, but all believers, common, ordinary believers, be filled with the Spirit. And don't think of this as some sort of special supernatural experience that you have at 12 o'clock midnight and you have this sensation, okay, this sort of, this kind of second blessing. And somehow that you can sort of get this extra experience by going from meeting to meeting. No. It comes, this command comes to all believers in this way. Be continually filled. It's not now and then. <laughs> But be continually filled. That's the sense here. Be continually filled. Go on being filled with the Spirit. It's, it's, it's not a something that happens to you once in a while. But here, Apostle Paul is describing a state, a condition in which we are to live always, 24-7, always be filled with the Spirit. That's the sense here. Okay, It's not some super special uh, experience, but... It's, it's, a, it's a state, it's a condition, the new condition of the believer. There's confusion because people sometimes wait for some sort of special experience from the sky to be filled. But this is a wrong understanding in scriptures, nowhere in the scriptures. 
So what does being filled with the Spirit mean? What does it mean? I like the uh, illustration Martin Lloyd-Jones uses. He says sometimes we use the language about someone being full of something. Okay, he gives two examples. He uses the example of somebody who takes up a new interest. Ah, he's full of it. He never stops talking about it. It may be skiing. He never talks, stops talking about it. Or maybe football. He never stops talking about football. He's full of football. That's all he talks about. Or maybe you find a person that's always talking about another special person in his or her life. You say, he's absolutely full of this person. Never stops talking about him or her. Okay, that's what we mean by, by full. Paul uses here the comparison of wine here. Verse 18. The command here is don't be drunk with wine. It's a command in scripture. Don't be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. To be drunk with wine means what? It controls you. You're, the language we often hear today is under the influence. You're under the influence of alcohol. But to be filled with the Holy Spirit means what? It means to be controlled by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. It means to be under the power and influence of the person. In this case, being full or filled means your whole person, your mind, your emotions, your will, is always under the direction, under the power, under the influence of the Spirit in your life, your whole life. We're not talking about perfection here. No, we're talking about sinners, forgiven sinners, who nonetheless live under the control of the Spirit. By being filled with the Holy Spirit, we do not lose control. Okay? We gain control. We don't faint. Sometimes you see people in church, churches passing out and fainting. That's not according to the Bible. That's not of the Holy Spirit. Okay? We don't shake. We don't fall. Drunk people do that. But to be drunk with wine it is, is dissipation, which means wild or uncontrolled living. But here he commands all believers to go on being controlled by the Holy Spirit in a very rational way. How is this possible, you ask? How can I carry out this command to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, it's, it's a call, isn't it? It's a command. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, if it wasn't possible, Christ wouldn't command it here. So we always know it is possible. Uh, not only is it possible, but it's a command, and that Christ can work that out in our life. It is not in our power, right? It's not in us to determine whether or not we are going to be regenerated. That's, that's up to the Spirit. That's the Spirit's work. He regenerates. That's the work of the Spirit alone. But it is our responsibility as believers to decide whether or not we will be filled with the Holy Spirit or not. How do we respond to that? You know, do we submit to the work of the Spirit? That, that's our responsibility. That's the call. Of course, it's a sovereign work of the Spirit that enables us, but it is our responsibility. How so? Think of two ways. 
First, this means if I'm going to be filled with the Spirit, I must not grieve the Holy Spirit. What's grieving the Holy Spirit? If you look back to Ephesians chapter 4, Apostle Paul is speaking to believers, and he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to describe what are some ways that we can grieve him. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, which we are to put away from us with all malice. That's not being filled with the Spirit if we practice those things. It's grieving the Holy Spirit. You know, it's if I allow my lusts and sinful desires to control me, then who is not controlling me? The Holy Spirit. He's no longer controlling me. We read this morning, Potter Peter read this morning earlier from Galatians 5.17. It shows the, the, uh, the battle that we live in our lives. For the flesh, as refers to us, lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that we do not do the things that we wish. If I want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, what must I do? Engage in battle. Engage in battle against whom? Me. I must fight against the sins in my own life, the evils in my own life. By, by the way, it's by the Spirit of God right, who works that new life in us that enables us to see, you know, the grossness of sin in our own lives, the power of sin in our own lives. And now I got now in this call, I'm called also to fight against all my lusts, all my evil passions, so that they do not control me. I need to resist the devil. I need to resist the world, the love of the world. I need to resist my fleshly desires. But when I give in to those things, I am grieving the spirit. This shows, again, too, the Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity. He's a sensitive spirit. He is the, you could say, the willing and gracious guest who, who in God's grace, comes to live among us and in us. And yeah, for grieving the Spirit, what do I need to do? Always repenting from my sin, turning to Christ in faith, that is always the call. He, that's how he communicates Christ to me. So that's one way. One way to be filled with the Spirit is that we do not grieve the Spirit. And of course, that's in manifold ways. The second thing here, and here's a real encouragement for all of us, because only you know the battle that rages within your own soul, in your own heart, and only you know the, the intensity of those sins within. We're not talking about external sins. We're talking about the internal sins, the sins of the heart. And that means we must realize that this Holy Spirit also lives within the heart of the believer. That should be a real encouragement. He lives in believers. We have his power 
We have his presence at work in us. And that should be the greatest encouragement for us as we fight intensely against these sins in our lives. Because the spirit who raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit who can enable us to overcome. It may take time, but he is the one who enables us. The Bible says he is our only comfort. He is our comforter. He's our helper. He's not there to castigate us when we fight against these sins. He's there to encourage. He's there to comfort. He's there to help. Just as Jesus promised, Jesus said he's the one who would abide with us forever. And also, he would also live in us. Wow. That's pretty powerful. One who lives in us. John 14, verse 16. He's the one who helps me to repent of my sin, to comfort me with the promise of forgiveness, helps me to grow more like Christ. So yeah, the way to go on being controlled by the Holy Spirit is first of all, not to grieve him. And second of all, to remember he is always there for you. Ask, ask him, pray to him for more and more of Christ so that you may be more and more filled with him. He is gracious. He is gracious to lead you, to guide you, to help you, to comfort you. And yeah, that means we need to drink from his word. Just, you know, the means of grace, that's what the Holy Spirit uses, right? He uses the word on Sundays. He uses the reading of the word daily to encourage, to strengthen but also uses the sacraments, right? the Lord's Supper. But here's the point too. He is gracious to work. This submission in the life of all his elect, all those whom the Father has given to Christ, thank God, he will work this submission in their hearts. Because if he didn't, we would remain stubborn forever and ever and ever and ever. That's how powerful sin is. We would remain inoculated. Thank God for the work of the Spirit, how He sovereignly works in us so that we give in, that we repent, and we return to Christ. That is the powerful work of the Spirit, so that we may be filled with the Spirit. Yes, we are engaged in an intense struggle the world, the devil, the flesh are our enemies. We must resist them, but we also have the grace, the power and presence of the Spirit to resist. So these are the ways, when you think about being filled with the Spirit, not grieving Him, but resting in the work of Christ. If it is when we willingly submit to His control that mind, heart, and will are also under his control. That's a lifelong endeavor. You know, it's that we read that this morning too. When the Spirit works in us, to be Spirit filled means what? It'll show in the fruit. It'll manifest itself in the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self control. The ninefold fruit of the Spirit. So that's the first thing. Second thing, more briefly, we look at the beautiful results of being 
filled with the Spirit in our relationships. And that's where it really brings it home, doesn't it? To know that He's accessible at all times. We have His power to overcome. And therefore, He can bring beauty out of what is broken. And you see it in four ways. And we're going to touch briefly just on uh, by 5 verse 22 all the way through 6 verse 9 as well. But you see it in four ways. You see it, the, the filling of the Spirit in our relations within the house of God, in our relationships with one another. You see that in verses 19 through 21. You see it in the marriage relationship, what it means to be Spirit-filled. You see it in the family, between the relationship between parents and children, the Spirit-filled and also in the workplace. So those four ways, we can touch on them briefly. The first way is in the household of believers. Be filled with the Spirit. How? And now he talks about the household of God. He talks about the church. How are you to be filled with the Spirit? By speaking to one another, says verse 19, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Is that what we do when we sing? We exhort one another. We speak to one another. We're also singing to God, but we also speak to one another. And also, when we speak to one another, there's a certain musical flair. Right? Second thing, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. It's the second way that we show that we are spirit-filled. Third, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So giving thanks. And finally, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So in terms of singing, speaking, giving thanks, and submitting. Notice the one another statements here, speaking to one another, submitting to one another. There's two one another statements here. The Bible's filled with one another statements, right? Here's two of them, speaking to one another, submitting to one another. You know, um, submitting to one another literally means, what does that mean, submission? To place yourself under. Here we're called to place yourself under one another. Of course, not in sin, but nonetheless, to place yourself under one another. That's what it literally means, submitting, putting yourself under another person. It's a bad word in our society today, sorry to say, but it's a beautiful word in God's dictionary. Submitting is something that we have to fight against, right? Uh, fighting against pride, fighting against pride shows us submitting ourselves to one another. You know, as a spirit humbles himself to be that gracious and willing guest to live among us, so too we must humble ourselves. Being spirit-filled shows in what way? It shows in serving one another, willing to be corrected by one another, learning from one another, rejoicing with one another, weeping with one another. Relationships, that's really the central thing of the covenant. Relationships with God, relationships with one another. You can't have one without the other. You need both. It's submitting to one another. And notice that. You do that because it's out of fear and reverence to Christ. You want to show respect to Christ? Do we want to show reverence to Christ? This is how we do it. 
That's, that's, that's ultimate respect. Second thing here is, you know, just one app, further application. Sometimes believers face many, many hardships, temptations, but that does not necessarily mean that they are not filled with the Spirit. We have to look at that too. Just because you have hardships does not mean that you're not filled with the Spirit. Remember the Apostle Paul and Silas in prison in Philippi? They were stripped of their clothes. They were beaten with rods. They were thrown in prison. What did they do? They started singing. They were singing. They were filled with the Spirit, praying and singing hymns to God at midnight. Other prisoners were listening, singing, making melody, and giving thanks. Sure, it wasn't easy, but they knew. They knew that in spite of the persecution, they could still live the Spirit-filled life. They had that joy. Okay. You know, those who are controlled by the Spirit can live in peace with one another within the household of faith. This is the one and only solution to marriage problems, to the problems in the home, to the problems in the workplace. Christ, repentance and faith in Christ, being filled with the Spirit, submitting one to another in reverence to Christ. That's the solution. Being filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's the solution. When we turn to Christ, that's what we pray for. So we'll just touch on Ephesians 5, 22, 69 briefly, because really, verse 21, submitting to one another, is like a title for that entire next section. Section. The first thing is marriage. It says here that wives are to submit to their husbands, and husbands are to love their wives. Wives, it says, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. How? Not abusively, but just as the church is subject to Christ. I should say abusively about husbands. <laughs> husbands, you don't abuse your wives. How, what do you do with your wives? You love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. There's that beautiful relationship. Submitting to one another shows in the wife submitting to her husband. The husband loving the wife. That's the answer. The spirit-given answer. Even in conflicts in our marriage. Submitting to one another. The wife submitting to her role. The husband submitting to his role. In the way that God has worked out this arrangement. For the church. For society. Second thing is in the family. Children. Obey your parents. There's a blessing with that. Because you have a long life quality life. You hear what's going on in our public schools? They're not having a life, are they? There's violence. There's reports of violence. Why is that? Because they're not submitting to Christ. They're not filled with the Spirit. They're not, how should I say it, submitting one to the other. And that's why it says, children, obey your parents. How? In the Lord, for this is right. But parents also have a responsibility. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up. How? 
on movies and on the iPhone. That's the best way to keep them quiet. Right? No, no, no. That's what the world does. But it says how? How do we do that? In the training and admonition of the Lord. Very, very, very important. That's what it means, submitting one to another. Children, if you want to be spirit-filled, how do you know if you're spirit-filled? You listen to mom and dad. And parents, how do you know if you're spirit-filled? You're willing to correct your children. You're willing to spank them. Because what needs to be driven from them? The evil. The sin. Sin in our own lives, yes. But God has also given us a responsibility to drive out evil from our children. Train them in the, uh, sorry, in the, in the training and admonition of the Lord. This is a spirit-filled activity. No, you're not in la-la land. Half the time you're cleaning off your fingers or encouraging your son or daughter after you discipline them. That's spirit-filled. That's a spirit-filled activity. And third, in the workplace. <laughs> this is a hard one. It says, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters in the workplace. How? Well, in sincerity of heart, it says, as to Christ, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord. But there's also a word to masters. Not all of us have Christian masters, so we understand that. But to those who are Christians, Paul says, and you masters, giving up threatening. Why? Knowing that your own master also is in heaven. So you notice that in all of these examples, marriage, family, and in the workplace, the Lord is the center, right? To live the spirit-filled life is to keep the Lord in the center, to keep Christ in the center. Being filled with the spirit means submitting to one another in the roles that God has given. Also in the structure of our society, submission is not a bad word. We should not connect it to abuse, exploiting. That's never the way that God intended it. It's meant to be a beautiful word. The beauty of a well-ordered society, of well-ordered authority structures and relationships shows what it means to be filled with the Spirit. What he's ordained for marriage, family, and the workplace. That will flourish. That will flourish in the light of the command in verse 21. Or verse, sorry, not verse 21. In the light of verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit. How? Submitting one to another. And then there's the blessing. That's the promise. Does that mean there's no conflict? Oh, there's conflict. As we saw, it means fighting hard, but there will be blessing. That's the promise of Christ. The only solution to the problem of getting along in the church, in marriage, with children, and in the workplace, is that men and women be filled with the Holy Spirit of Christ, submitting to one another when we're governed by the Spirit of Christ through his word through his word, the word of God. This is a God of order. And when we do that, what do we, what's the first thing we see in ourselves? 
we understand, we then understand the evil inside of us. We understand the sin inside of us. And we're called to curb it, to restrain it. And that is what the Holy Spirit does. He works that in us. He works that kind of submission in the life of his elect people. It may take a long time sometimes, but he will always work that in the life of his elect. Resist lust, evil passions. Be filled with the Spirit. Overcome evil desires. Exercise self-control that he gives you. Grow in the grace and knowledge of God. You find yourself struggling with that? I'm sure all of us do. If we're filled with the Spirit, even more so. We find ourselves struggling. We find ourselves maybe sometimes very down by the intensity of the fight. Thank God for the gifts of the Spirit who does that kind of work in us. But he says, don't stop there. Go to me, go to Christ. He ministers Christ to us. Pray, act upon his word in faith. Obey, he will bless. He will bless. Do take hold of that command. Be filled with the Spirit. Submitting to him brings this Pentecost blessing and fullness of life within the fellowship of believers in our marriages, in the family, and in the workplace. And that, my brothers and sisters, that is the witness of the body of Christ in a world filled with misery, darkness, and broken relationships. Think of the church at Pentecost. You know how the Lord used the witness of the church to draw many. See, they have something we don't have. They have a discipline. They have an order. Well, really what it is, the spirit-filled life. Drink from Christ, from his word. Find your satisfaction in him. And by faith, you will find your strength to fight Satan, to fight evil and sin. So that in Christ, by his spirit, we may be daily filled. And so the command is go on, continue on being filled. Amen.